And it's not something that happened overnight. It was really a process. Um, but I really tackled each step and I didn't get dissuaded. I had perseverance and I persevered. And when people said, there's no way you're going to do this, I said, oh yeah, okay, that's my challenge. And I am, and I'm going to get through this. And I think that's one of the driving forces that, you know, even when you come up against a, a brick wall, you say, okay, wait, I'm going to chip away at this brick and I'm going to see the sunlight on the other side. And so I really set a path and conquered each thing as it came. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sanira Madani and Shannon Monson. And we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue. And we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hey everyone, this is Sanira Madani here with the 2% Club podcast, and I'm so excited for today's episode to have CEO and founder of DB's Organics, Dion Baker. Dion and I actually became friends last year uh, as we both were Ernst & Young's winning women. So Ernst & Young has this incredible awards program and a recognition program, but honestly, an amazing mentorship program where they hand select a handful of uh, women founded companies that they nurture through to help them continue to scale their businesses. And so they had selected, I believe, Dion was at 12 businesses last year in North America. And Dion was the only Canadian business that was selected. And we met at the first EY mentee training and just quickly became friends and learned all about Dion's story. And it's just so incredible. And I'm so so excited to have her on this episode. Dion, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm so excited to talk about your story. I know I personally know it, but I know my audience is going to be pumped to hear about DB's Organics and your founding story and where the company is going. Can you start us off by kind of telling us a little bit about DB's? Sure. So it actually was an idea that came about when um, in 2012, I was in the kitchen with my two kids and really never at that moment expected to go into business or become an entrepreneur. I was finishing my PhD in medical sciences and um, expected to go on and be a professor and kind of follow that path. Um, but I was had kind of one of those light bulb moments where you're standing there and you go, oh my God, I just came up with a brilliant idea. Because uh, one of my kids was making tea and the other was making popsicles and they were arguing over who was going to do what with mommy. And one said, mommy, let's make teasicles. And I kind of went, ping, tea is so popular. I've never heard of anybody making a frozen tea popsicle. And I uh, went to my computer, realized nobody's doing it. Um, and I decided to launch DBs, not just to make frozen novelties and popsicles, but really to create snacks that I would feel happy giving my own children because uh, our son at that time didn't eat any artificial color, artificial flavor, artificial sweeteners. He kind of had a from the earth, very simple diet. And I couldn't find snacks that met the criteria that I wanted to feed my kids. 
And that was kind of the beginning where I pretty naively decided I'm going to do this and launch DBs. And that's how it all came about. That's so interesting. First, my mind went to, I don't know, like, I've never heard that story from any mom say that my my child does not eat artificial colors and sweeteners <laughs> because I have the complete opposite problem. So that's so awesome that your son is like, let's, I'm creating a healthy popsicle for myself because I feel like I'm always on the trickery with Mila uh, to find things that are hidden in there and hidden veggies and hidden this and hidden that, that tastes healthy. So I'm as a mom always looking for great organic products that Uh, still satisfy her love of artificial everything. Yeah, well, that's the trick. And that was kind of some of the hard beginnings was making something that tasted too healthy. And, you know, you you know what kids do, they just go bleh, and they don't want it. And um, so it really took a few years to get it right. And we really, really went down to like simple, simple fruits. And um, now kids love it. And uh, it's interesting, because this year is one of the first years I there's a little every day when I go onto Instagram, I see all over North America, people saying, Oh, my God, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Can you believe this and tagging friends and saying, Have you seen this? And because parents are like, finally, there's something that tastes phenomenal. Um, but it has just simple organic fruits in it. So we've, we've kind of come to the right place. That's so awesome. I want you to dive further into that. So I know that your background, you know, you are a PhD in, in um, like fetal toxicology, like you're a chemist and you are a researcher and you had all this experience. Talk me through like what was going on in your head when you have like your work going on, you have your kids and then that aha moment of I want to become an entrepreneur, you research it, but then what was next, right? So you had this idea how did you even go about saying, I'm going to sell this and now be like the number one freezer pop in all of Canada? Um, how did like how did you go from being in your kitchen to you're selling off the shelf? Like talk us through and give us as much detail as you want, because I know that's what my audience is dying to know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess I I went at it the only way I knew how. And I was a research scientist. So I started with, OK, if I want to get from A to B, in other words, how do I get a product, a made source, all the ingredients, and then how would I get it across North America from like Victoria, British Columbia, all the way to Florida in perfect condition. And I kind of set up the same way I would uh, a research project, um, the goals and the steps that I needed to get to in order to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And I, so I slowly, and it's not something that happened overnight, it was really a process. Um, but I really tackled each step and I didn't get dissuaded. I had perseverance and I persevered. And when people said, there's no way you're going to do this, I said, oh yeah, okay, that's my challenge. And I am, and I'm going to get through this. And I think that's one of the driving forces that, you know, even when you come up against a a brick wall, you say, okay, wait, I'm going to chip away at this brick and I'm going to see the sunlight on the other side. And so I really set a path and conquered each thing as it came. And uh, eventually we were able to really open up the brick wall and um, get to where we are, where we have distribution across both countries now um, nationally with the biggest retailers. 
Love that. I love that you talked about that you didn't take no for an answer and it really fueled you. That was a huge part of my success story as well. And I think many countless other women, I think it's just intrinsically, we hate when somebody tells us that we can't, and then it just fuels us that we absolutely will. Um, because that's the driver to prove someone that you, you know, that we do have what it takes to do it. Now talk me through like creating a product. I mean, I come from, uh, you know, a tech and software background and I have no idea how to manufacture anything. Did you have a background in this? How did you get your team in place? What were like the first things that, you know, you talked about, you mapped out this project plan and then you just kept executing. What were kind of the big things that, that you needed to set up early on to start this business? And if you can talk about some of the roadblocks that you had, even in getting to that first retailer. Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. And, you know, back to that point of when someone says no, just the other day, we bumped into somebody, um, a man, and he said, are you still (laughs) making those little popsicles in your kitchen? And I was like, uh, no, we're not. We manufacture in Italy and we're selling to, you know, we've made 30 million popsicles this year. You know, it's that, it's that doubt of like, yeah, you know, she, here's a little woman again in her kitchen, um, you know, and, and so I think that fuels us, which is interesting, that kind of attitude of, you know, they look at my husband and they think, oh, you know, big success. And hey, how are you doing, honey? How's your little, you know, side business? Um, so uh, I know for myself, and it sounds like for you too, that just makes me go, oh, you just watch me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really funny story to share right now. Um, I was, I just moved into a new neighborhood and uh, like during COVID, it's been crazy. We haven't been like, we haven't met all the neighbors or anything like that, but people are going for walks Like we're outside a lot more right now. And mm. every single neighbor ha- that has met my husband and I and our kids always asks my husband what he does for a living. And oh, like for the always. first, yeah. for the first few times I kind of ignored it. And then he actually said that nobody ever asks you what you're like, what you do. And everyone just assumes that the, like, it's just part of our society and it's really shitty. I love the fact that my husband actually noticed it and was kind of offended for me um, that like, nobody even knows that my wife's actually like the bigger boss here, but <laughs> He, he was so, he's so sweet about it, but it's, it is interesting. It, it is. It's always that we have this perceived value of the side hustle. We have this perceived value of our little this, and it's, it's not, I know many, many women that make a lot more money than their husbands and are actually the supporting breadwinners of their families. And it's actually really supported by their spouses as well. So that story was just really funny. I thought I'd share that. Uh, but kind of take me back now, you know, so you, you're getting the no's um, that people don't even know, you know, what you're doing. How did you actually get it to your first store? So you manufacture this product in your kitchen, I'm assuming? In the yeah, beginning? in the very, very beginning, we did it in our kitchen and then we went to a, a shared commercial kitchen space. And um, I always knew in my mind, um, people say, could you ever have imagined being here? And I, I say, actually, yes, I could. Because in the beginning, this is where I, I imagined we'd be and even bigger. And I think that's part of like that dream big. Um, start small. And that's actually something that we can talk about in terms of my learning. But dream big and have that big goal in your mind. And so, you know, I went to local stores and we got in and um, and then, you know, it's ironic because now we actually are, are, we don't have any frozen novelties in the United States at all. It represents probably less than 5% of our business. And now it's, it's almost all freezies. And so by the time I had gone through the challenge of, 
um, getting frozen novelties into the store, which you can imagine getting a popsicle from one end of a country all the way to the other end of another country in perfect shape. You start at the most challenging place. And by the time you create something that is shelf stable, which means it's not frozen until the customer takes it home, um, so it's displayed all over the store. Um, by that point, I had done a lot of learning. Um, and so it was kind of a pathway of learning and then not getting stagnant and making sure that I was humble enough to say, okay, oops, I made a mistake. I'm going to learn from this. Oops, I made another mistake. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to actually be humble enough to say, yeah, that, I screwed up. Um, and that's what I've, I've said to my team too. If you make a mistake, own it. Like, let's learn from it. Don't worry it's okay. We've got to try and we're going to fail sometimes, but we're going to succeed eventually because of those learnings. And so it was really knocking on the doors, um, being humble. I remember going to California and knocking on the door of like, you know, small uh, kind of organic grocery store and the the freezer buyer, frozen uh, food buyer opens the door and says, what do you want? And I was like, uh, I, I, I have my um, T-Pops and I was <laughs> anxious right at the beginning. And here I am, I finished a PhD. This guy is opening a door looking at me like, what do you want? You know, you're taking time out of my day. And I kind of was shaking in there trying to get, you know, uh, into this one store in California. Um, but it's those moments that really kind of make you go, oh my God, like, you know, I've got to, I've got to kind of tackle this strategically. And um, we're still working on that today, um, even though we're kind of ex- distributed all over. But it's it's really tackling step by step and how do you get distribution? How are you going to truck things um, into a store? Um, how do you best meet? How do you have a presentation? Uh, so many different things that, that you kind of put together as you go through. You know, I love that. And I think something that you know, you, you talked about, you were actually the one knocking on the first doors as well. And I think that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, we have this fear that we have to have everything perfect, right? Like we have to have the perfect sales pitch and we have to have the perfect sales team and we have to have all of these things. And sometimes honestly, what it takes is just to show up, right? Like that's what it takes. Like you just have to get up and go. And, you know, I think that this is like something that I've seen a thread of like many entrepreneurs that I've interviewed on this podcast. Uh, that was always a starting point for them. They didn't have uh, big investors right away or crazy teams or amazing processes and connections through grocery stores throughout all of North America. Like that wasn't your story. Your story was that you made a freezer pop in your kitchen. You knew that this needed to be on the shelves. You were ahead of the market with organic, healthy products, right? So you were ahead of that. And then you showed up, you figured it out. Your freezer pops were melting through the country. And then you're like, I need to create this in a shelf stable environment. And it Mm -hmm. actually ended up working for your favor because your, your pops are actually sold all over the store and displays versus just having to sit in the freezer section. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're in the freezer and you've got a pop in the freezer, you know, we found we were selling two to four or five boxes per week. And whereas our freezer pops um, and freezies are, like you said, distributed all or displayed all throughout the store. And we can see, you know, 100 bags per week move. Um, and so the velocity is so much stronger. And it's so strong that the retailer actually loves it and ends up putting it all over the place. Uh, I was in Whole Foods in Vancouver on Camby Street. And uh, we're, we were in like four or five locations throughout the store. So, um, yeah, it was an absolute change maker when we launched the shelf stable freezer pop. And that was, um, in 2017. So three years ago. 
And that was created through a challenge that you had. Ladies, listen to that. Like you took a challenge that you were having on selling this product um, into the stores and it was melting and you weren't able to like showcase it to the buyer, turned your challenge into a new product. And then like now your distribution just skyrocketed because you actually are outpacing all of your competitors because they're actually stuck in the freezer and you can be placed next to anything. That is just so incredible. I feel so inspired right now, even just listening to this. And I want to ask you, since you dropped the Whole Foods name right here, how does it feel to like walk into a Whole Foods and see your product in four different places? Oh, I mean, it just like I get this beaming smile and I, you know, I smile at every single one of their employees. Hi, I'm Dion. Hi, how are you? This is my product. And I, you know, I become like a little kid because as you know, your business is kind of like your, like for me, it's like my third baby. And so you feel so proud that they love your baby as much as you do. And uh, I end up buying like bags full for the store, for all the team members. And, um, you know, it's so, so thrilling. And the other thrilling thing is to um, be in, uh, you know, the other end of the country, like New York City and walk in or the other end of, you know, United States, walk into a store and, and see us displayed all over. And I'm so far from home um, that you just, I don't know, it's like this special feeling you get and you almost cry that you just, yeah. you know, you don't want to be embarrassed because you're <laughs> wailing in the middle of a store next to your product. But um, it's really thrilling. Very, very exciting. But you deserve to wail. I would wail too. I think it's just, <laughs> it's, it's so awesome. I think this is where like we as women just really, really fucking care. Like that is the emotion tied to our product. Like you've put your blood, sweat and tears into building this company and you know, it is, it is incredible. And we should all celebrate that you flying into New York city and then walking into a whole foods. What are the other stores? I know there's, so, I remember we were in, in New York, I think last time and you like walked over down the street to go buy We like went to go buy your popsicles. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We're, we're not in the whole foods in uh, a number of the United States locations yet, although hopefully we will be, but um, in the United States, we're in almost all the Kroger locations, Kroger's, Kroger's yeah. USB, King Super, um, all of those banners, Weiss, Bushes in New York City. We were in Fairways, although I'm not sure if they're still open. Um, but we're in a, like now, you know, probably around 15,000 plus locations. Um, so, so yeah, it's, you can find us all over, um, which is, is really, really nice. Although we tend to go in, in a big way through the spring and summer. And then we um, disappear uh, kind of in the fall and winter, although some stores have us all year. So, so yeah, I know it's exciting. And I, you know, when I had that vision of myself in the middle of a store in New York city, like what I would really love to do, if I really rent, went to my inner child, you'd see me on the floor, kneeling, like hugging, crying, holding, like hugging my bin of freezies and crying. Like, you know, that's, that's like my inner child coming out in the middle of a store in New York city. You know, that's what I would feel like doing. I will. I love that. And I'm really proud of you. And it's really, really awesome. Let's talk about kind of, so now you've got the product manufactured, you've gotten distribution, you're showing up to buyers and they're obviously your product is speaking for itself, right? So you have a good product. And once they try it and then customers try it, they come back and repeat buy. What was next? Kind of what were some of the challenges that you that you went through to scale even after you got some initial traction going? You know, I think one of the biggest challenges is your margin. And especially in the food industry, it's tight. It's really tight. Uh, every time you see a product on special in a store, the the vendor, the person, the manufacturer 
is giving that big discount. The store might be putting in a little bit, but it's us who are giving that discount. And um, you need to have, in order to scale up to where we are today, making 30 million freezies um, this year, we had to be certain of our margin. And um, I think that was one of our biggest challenges. So, you know, we looked at where we manufacture, how we manufacture, how we source organic fruits, um, but we still keep it affordable to the consumer because we wanted this available to everybody. Um, And so we knew we had to have the volume um, in order to achieve that price point. And we're, you know, now this is the first year that we really got to a really healthy margin that is still improving. And I think you need to be honest with yourself when you look at margin and incorporate everything into the cost of goods when you're manufacturing. And that's really, really important. And your margin is probably not going to be great in the beginning, um, especially for people who are in manufacturing. Um, But if you look at the scalability and you look at, okay, if I manufacture this many, we can be here. And you bring in the right people who can advise you on that, um, then you know where you need to get to. That's such good advice on margin. And I think that it does apply to even non-manufacturing. It applies to every business out here. I think that when we do first get started, I, I remember all of my initial fat merchant contracts. I pretty much just gave away rev share to every partner, uh, probably in perpetuity. Like I did not know how to write a contract. I was just so excited to get a partnership up and going. Um, and, and sometimes that is what you need, right? So in the beginning, it's also okay to get that learning and just to get that contract in through the door and learn from it. Um, and I wouldn't change that. Like I wouldn't look back six years and say, I, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I think that it, we would not be here today if I did it, but it's important to continue to measure that and continue to adjust. And I think that that's something that as you know, you guys are listening, whatever your product may be, whether it's a software product, whether it's an online course, whether it's a manufactured product, it's important for you to understand your unit economics. Like that's what it really comes down to. It's important for you to take it all the way back down to understand what is your true margin? What are the total costs associated with your product and how you can continually improve that lifetime value over time? Yeah, absolutely. And it might feel like you said, really scary in the beginning because you're just, you don't have that margin. Um, I can remember almost saying like, I'm paying you to sell my product. Um, but you, you really have to intelligently be honest with yourself. And like you said, you have to understand those metrics. And um, if you don't, that, that can stop uh, your survival. And um, I think that was one of the most important things we ended up bringing on advisors. Um, and people who could really, really look at this and help me understand um, what needs to go where in our financial statements to get a really clear picture. How did you go about finding, mean, I know, you know, I have advisors for my company as well, but I know a lot of the women that I coach and mentor, uh, they, they don't, how did you go about finding your advisors and what kind of role did they play in the company? How often would you meet with them? And what advice do you have to kind of create that board of advisors or a group around you that doesn't actually work for your company? And that's just truly vested in the interest of your success. Mm -hmm. It's a very good question. You know, I I feel so much gratitude for my advisors. I truly don't think I would be enjoying the process as much or be at the place we're at today without them. Um, I I feel so grateful to have them on board. They've all, our board of advisors, I made a decision early on that I wanted them to have skin in the game. So um, we were at the point in our company that I felt 
um, secure enough to say, look, I'd like you to put some skin in the game. So early on, um, unlikely that an advisor is going to make an investment in you. But um, the first thing is, like you said, just to be there, like be present, um, ask. If you don't ask and reach out to somebody, you'll never know. Um, and I was really nervous to um, reach out when I first started asking for advice. But you know what? People love to give advice, especially when they've succeeded and they have a little more time on their hands. Like it's it's one thing to um, ask an advisor when they're massively crazy scaling up and they're early in a startup. That's going to be hard. But even go higher. It's like set your sights high. Go to somebody who you know is in the field and knows something about this and say, hey, would you work with me? I, I love what you've done. I so admire your work. I value your time so much. So I'd like to, you know, compensate you and whether it's options or um, whatever it might be that w- works for you. Um, don't be afraid to reach out and ask and, and, and know what your dream is and who you'd like to come on board and be Again, I keep bringing it back to humility and being humble enough to know what you don't know and um, find people who do know that and can help you get there because it's just, uh, it's, it, it, it changes a whole perspective in your business. It, it really does. And I think something as, you know, entrepreneurs sometimes I see is that we feel like we're the first person that might be going through this problem. Like, I don't, I like mm-hmm. when I look back at like my old self and, and this challenge happens and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And this is such a blocker and this really sucks. And this is happening to me. And why is it happening to me? And actually I'm nothing is ever different. It does not matter the business. It does not matter how, like what level you are in your business, that same challenge that you've had, somebody else has had it. And absolutely, we need to be learning from other people's mistakes and challenges so that we don't end up making those mistakes and challenges, or we should have these people in our Rolodex around us, in our teams, in our peers, um, and even um, from peer coaching, right? I think this is something that we have as the entrepreneurial winning women sisters, you could call it like our sisterhood, you can call it, is that we can rely on each other. We can call and say, hey, um, I'm facing this challenge. Is anybody else facing this challenge? And what did you guys do to solve it? Even mm-hmm. during, let's say, like Corona just happened, we had to go completely remote. I had 110 people I needed to get remote and make sure that they were safe. What were things that I needed to do, I reached out to to you guys and said, hey, what are you guys doing for your teams? What's happening with PPP? What's happening with this? So I think advisors can come in many different shapes and forms. But I Mm -hmm. think what the important part is, is that you have to be willing to ask for help. You have to be willing to be humble and say, I don't have the answer and I need some help and I want to figure out how to solve it. And it's it's really powerful. Very powerful. And you you hit the nail on the head. Um, And because they, you'd be shocked at how many advisors have been through challenges and have had um, times where they've been up against that brick wall and they got through it. So there's very few people in business who have not had to face those challenges. And it's so, it's almost like you feel cradled when, when someone says, you know what, we face something just like this. And it was, oh, it was so horrible at that time, but we got through and you feel like you're being cradled and you go, oh my God, thank God you face this too. Oh, there's something that you just immediately, you know, your, your stress goes like, oh, okay, they understand. And um, they can help you through it by their experience. It might be slightly different than yours, but that, but just to know they've been there is huge. It, it really is. It really is. Um, 
And I, I I love to ask you about that, right? So what were like now looking back at, I mean, you've grown this business, it's continuing to scale. Um, you're an eight figure plus business. How did you get to the first million dollar mark, right? So I think something that's really important and the reason why I launched this podcast is really around the fact that less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. And obviously that number needs to change. And I'm trying to dig deeper into why that's happening. What are the playbooks that we need to change? What can we do to continue to uplift, share these stories and really share the tactical lessons so that we can reach a bigger audience to, you know, and hopefully connect with more entrepreneurs that we can bring more women to what I like to call the 2% club. So when you made the 2% club, I believe that was 2017. So a couple of years ago, what was advice that you would give back to Dion prior to 2017 before hitting that? And then what changed after? Yeah. And you know, that was like such a landmark place to get to, to surpass, I would say surpassing the million dollar mark getting to that place has been harder than surpassing the $10 million mark. Um, Not that it's harder or easier, but I guess it was, there was a lot more tears and blood and sweat um, getting to that million dollar mark. And I think it's, 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 you know, what I'd say to myself is hold on and hold tight. Um, You know, for many of us, our families are growing we're facing family, like challenges within, you know, as our kids become teenagers, there's so many things, at least that was for me, uh, coming at you. And, you know, you think, how am I ever going to surpass a million dollars? And then you get there and you almost feel like, should I celebrate? Or is this going to last? Is this, (laughs) is this true? (laughs) Could this be real? Um, Because, you know, you face as a female entrepreneur, I, me- I remember going into the bank and uh, asking for a loan and the, I, I sat with three bankers and they all kind of looked at me and I felt like I was like, you know, the little kid in the gingerbread house that was being scolded. And um, they said, you know, it, it kind of came to, you know, why are you doing this? Your husband is so successful. You know, you should just like go home and bake a chicken. Like, what, what, why are you disrupting the peace? Um, just be happy with what you got. And I remember feeling like I was below a doormat and kind of leaving, you know, feeling, you know, like two feet tall. And um, somehow I was able to persevere and make it through and hold on to that pillow when I cried. And I felt like, oh, my God, what am I doing to my family? Should I be doing this? Should I be making these sacrifices? You know, there's so many uh, cards stacked against us. Um, you know, when we first head out there, but I think it's hold on, um, surround yourself by good people and by other strong women who can have your back. I mean, we're so lucky um, in the entrepreneurial winning women. And I think with more and more women passing this million dollar mark, um, and I love what you're doing and kind of helping and mentor through that. You know, I think when we started, there wasn't a lot of that. Um, and it was really hard to hold on. Um, but having people like you out there who are helping guide, um, I think will help a lot because you need that other voice to say, you can do it. You're going to make it. Or you know what? I think you need to look at this. This will make you smarter, better, and more successful. Um, and I think that's what we need to do to help support you know, our tribe of other female entrepreneurs. 
I couldn't agree more. And it's really about lifting each other up. And it's kind of intrinsically taking a look at where we are today. And wherever you are in your journey, can you lift another woman up, right? Maybe she hasn't even started because she's too afraid to start. We all have friends that have amazing ideas that we know it's going to be successful, but they just can't take that plunge because they're not risk takers, right? And we need to get them to take that plunge or help them assess the risk. And they might just need support that way. Or are there other women that are in the same shoes as you and that you've had a great mentor, you've taken an incredible class that you should recommend? Um, So it's really about, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be at the super successful level. And that was this weird shift that took place for me that I felt that I had to be at this level to help, but we don't. We can help at whatever level we're at. All we need to do is continually uplift each other, raise our hand for help, and there is a community that will support you there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have this visual of somebody having their feet on your shoulders and you're propelling them up and you're pushing them forward. And that's exactly what you're doing. And I think, you know, I'm guessing, but I think probably for both of us, you get to a place in your business where you've got the right people in the right seats that you're able to help and you're able to dedicate the time to do that, which I think is a like a really, it's a really exciting place to be at and a place where we can pat each other on the back and go, wow, this is awesome that we're at the place where we actually have the time to really um, be able to share the knowledge and help other people because it takes a lot to get to like where you are today and knowing that you've got the people who've got your back in your business and you can now help the other entrepreneurs as they're kind of venturing out into this world or, or thinking of ideas and how they take it to, to market. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about your team. And I know this is always part of everyone's success, right? We can't do it alone. We feel like we we are the only ones that can ever do it right. This is probably the biggest flaw of as women, we're our perfectionists and no one can do it as good as we can. And that does limit our success. Talk to me about your team. What were the challenges that you had, how you overcame them, what your team looks like, and has that contributed to the success of DBs? Yes, I, absolutely. And you know, there's it's a circuitous route because you go through so many challenges or challenges with the team members or the dynamics. And um, really in the last six months, I feel like we have arrived at this team where we've got the right butts in the right seats, um, as they say. And um, I think it it's a place where, you know, I don't know how many times I felt like, oh, you know, I'll just do it because I just I know I can do it and I know I can do it well, so I'll just do it. And that happened so many times early on, and it it almost takes away the empowerment of your team members. Um, but I think you know there's this intrinsic internal gut feeling of like, okay, these people they've got it. Like they are doing this, they are succeeding. Um, I had to be away for a number of weeks um, for uh, one of my family members had to have surgery, and it was the first time I said, you know what, you guys can do this, you can own this, like go for it. And um, they did. And they stepped up to the plate. It was the first time I went, yeah, wow, the business is doing better than ever. And I was able to kind of put myself into this position where I was not in the weeds and the day to day. um, And I could see the forest for the trees, and was able to start to focus on really some of the bigger picture things, which was always my dream. And, um, and then we had a pivotal moment, um, where, one of our uh, board of advisor members is uh, his name is Brian Braden, and he was an executive at Cliff Bar, a multi-million-dollar, very very successful uh, bar company, obviously. And I think everyone would know Cliff. 
Um, and he, he, before that he was at Starbucks and before that he was with Nestle. He had a lot of experience in, in, in the strong growth phase of each of these businesses. And, uh, last year he, um, invested in DBs and he joined our board of advisors. And I just like, he'd open his mouth and I would be feeling like, oh my God, I just want to absorb everything you're saying. I just, I, it, it just was like gold. And uh, when I was away, he, he actually reached out and he said, you know what, Dion, I just want to tell you the last board meeting I was at, I just left and I felt like, oh my God, I'm so empowered. And this is what I want to be doing. I've been doing big corporate for so many years. I want to help you. And, uh, and, and let's take this big. And, you know, he didn't make that suggestion right off the beginning, but it came after he didn't, he was humble enough to, to kind of let me, um, say that to him. And he went, Oh my God, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And, uh, he's now our, he's jump ship and he's left cliff and he is now our COO, our chief. Oh chief my God. Officer. Yeah. Wait, so, so your board of advisors of cliff bar, that is this like company that you've aspired to be. He ends up leaving his position and now he works for you. He's helping it's- run the company. So he's, he's a partner <laughs> in the business. Let's yes. call it what it is. It is awesome. It is awesome. That is, is You're awesome. such a boss. Such a boss. It, it is. It's really about getting the right butts in the seats. It's not just about filling the seats. And I see this all the time with so many women around me that will just hire on people to delegate off tasks. So it's not just about delegating them off, right? It really should be one. I always talk about this. One plus one equals three, right? If you're hiring someone just to take these things off of your plate, that's not strategically adding any value to your company. You need to add people that are going to take not only this this workload off, but then really grow, like grow the business from there in whatever department that they're in to add enterprise value, to add value to your customers, to add value to your product, to add value to future team members. And and that's what should be happening. Not just here, take this task and I can hand it off to an admin. Absolutely. And you know, it was, uh, we have, I have a few other executives on our team, Yvette and Becky, who've been with me now for a number of years. And um, they, it's exactly like you said, like the when I kind of empowered them to lead as I had to step back, um, it just, the business just took off and it was, I think, empowering to them. Um, they had each actually led their own businesses before too. So there was a lot of experience. And now that we have Brian on board um, with this team, every single person, our, our team is still small. We're all across North America, but we're so powerful. Um, and, you know, you can almost hear the passion and the joy in every single member of the team who's who's now part of DBs um, because the leadership is so strong. And uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, you, you get to this place where you, you, you see that, that the right butts are in the seats and you just feel like, ah, oh, this um, excitement about what the future is for your company. It, it really is. And we're so blessed to have it with our teams, but it is achievable for everyone listening. It really is. And I I feel like I had this fear before that I was never going to find the right person because it had to be me. Or I did go through uh, many bad hires to then find the right one as well. That does happen. But Mm -hmm. when the right people do come along, they are worth the price tag as well. And you do pay for what you get. And I have learned that over the years as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with DBs, each member of the team, after they've been there for a year, um, become part of our employee stock option program. Um, and uh, I think that's an exciting thing to be able to offer people as well. 
um, and really does motivate people to, for us anyway, um, in our business to help um, stick with us and stick with us till um, we get to a big, big place. Um, you know, and, and, you know, as you're growing, um, you know, it's really helping that team understand what it means to be a part of the um, stock option program. So for us, that's been a really positive as well as we've built that out and, and um, it's become kind of more ingrained in everything we do at the company. And and it really is. It's, It's so important for employees to feel part of the company and feel ownership into the company. It really does change the way that they show up to work. And I know many of you guys listening may not have companies that have options or stock options per se, but there are other ways to incentivize and have ownership in the company. There are things that you can do as a team and you can go on vacation or take a president's club trip. And there's so many things that are incentivizing outside of just that, but having ownership and highlighting your team members, ensuring that they feel like they have that ownership to the customer, to the product, um, makes for a very successful team cohesion. Dion, I want to talk about, you said that getting to the first million was harder than getting to the 10 million. And I could not agree with that statement more. I feel like I fought my way up to get to the million dollar revenue mark. And once I was there, it was like, oh shit, it's actually the same playbook. You just have to like press gas on different levers um, Mm -hmm. in your business to then achieve that. If you can kind of talk me through what you meant by that, how that, how that has like catapulted, you went literally 10 X your business in a very short amount of time thereafter. Um, How should other people go about thinking about that? And, you know, how did you go about getting there? Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, it was, interesting because from 2012 when the idea happened in 2013 2014 when we launched it wasn't until 2017 that we hit surpassed that million and then yeah in three years we you know have uh, have 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 a big double digit multiple of that um so I think that that you know I think you're it's like an analogy of if you imagine a wheel on a bike and if you've got a whole bunch of spokes on this wheel and if the spokes are bent um, the wheel just doesn't move forward. And it's getting all those spokes straightened out. How do you get distribution? How do you get the right margin? How do you get the right people in the on the, on the seats? How do you set up your financing? How do you make sure that your your programs are proper for for going into the marketplace? How do you get you know your your trucking down pad? How do you get your marketing, your 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 digital media, all these different things? Um, and that is that grunt work in the beginning and it's, it continues. It's not that it stops because you're, you can always do better. Um, and I think that's something that, that, you know, is incorporated into our thinking is that we can always do better. We've always got to innovate. We've always got to be creative and you always have to be able to pivot just like we did in, in COVID. Um, and I think that, you know, your mindset gets to this place where you're, it's, it's just automatic for you to think, okay, I've got this wheel now that has the spokes that are pretty straight. They still not, perfectly straight, but they're getting there. Um, and you're working those things through so that your platform that you're basing everything on and the bike that you're riding isn't going, monk, 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 monk. it's actually going smoothly along the road. And uh, I think that having that base platform where you've got these things in place really can allow you to accelerate and succeed. Um, so for me, the, all those things were kind of getting into place when we hit that million dollar mark. And we were able to scale up pretty quickly, which um, has been really exciting the last three years. Congratulations on building such an incredible business. 
and for all that you do. And I love following your journey. Where can our audience find you, find DBs? How do we get our hands on this wonderful product for our kids and families? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, right now, uh, we're all over North America. So um, one thing is on our Instagram, we're very, very active. So it's at DB's Organics. And uh, I also have a DB's founder as well. So there's a lot of information on there. there and there's links uh, directly to um, buy it now. Um, because we our product is liquid, it's very hard to sell on Amazon. And it's expensive on Amazon. So we always recommend people go through Kroger. Um, we're going to be on um, Walmart. We're uh, in in almost, you know, I'd say like 60, 70% of the natural organic stores across North America. Um, in Canada, we're in Superstore and um, Walmart and um, all or Whole Foods. And so we're in on our website, there's a uh, where to buy and you can click there and uh, order online through one of the retailers. That's the best way to get it. Um, or uh, go to your local store and ask for us and every single grocer can get us in now. That is so awesome. I'm so pumped to have you. I know all of you listening definitely learned so much today. Make sure that you tag Dion and tag DBs and let us know what your learnings were. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Uh, Dion, I am just so, so thankful to have you today and just so proud of you and all the success that you've had. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and your experiences with us. We are so grateful. Well, I'm so inspired by you and, uh, and now what you're doing to help uh, fellow entrepreneurs and our tribe is just incredible. So congratulations, incredible work. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.